Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm James Yardley and today I'm joined by Ben Peters, the manager of the TB Evenload Global Income Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Ben. Pleasure. Now, Ben, your fund is a global equity income fund. Um, how can this help investors to combat inflation? Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, inflation is obviously very much uh, in the news at the moment, hitting record levels, uh, not, levels not seen since I was I was a boy. Um, and uh, I think when it comes to investing in the short term, you know, there really aren't any perfect hedges uh, for inflation. Um, but over the sort of medium to long term, then. Um, equities are not a bad place to be, uh, and particularly equities um, companies that can generate uh, dividends sustainably through time by generating a lot of free cash flow. So uh, the types of companies we look for uh, at even load investment, they uh, tend to uh, generate a lot of cash flow compared to the uh, amount of assets that are required to run that business. Um, and they can grow that cash flow uh, sustainably through time. And what that means is, uh, if they can do that, um, and they are producing goods and services that, that society wants and needs, even in inflationary times, uh, that they will they will be able to grow their revenue uh, in line or ahead of inflation. Uh, they have to invest, reinvest some of that cash flow that they'll generate from that revenue back into the business to drive the growth, but not too much. Um, uh, which means that when the costs of their their own inputs go up. It's not such a big impact on, on the business and through time. And you saw this in the, in the last bout of inflation, the 1970s, 1980s, companies actually did manage to uh, price, price their products appropriately through time uh, and maintain the profitability and cash flows of, of the companies through time. So, so short term, it's clearly a, a difficult picture, both for individuals and companies when it comes to inflation. Uh, but uh, income generating uh, equities are not, not a bad place to be over the longer term. So you think your companies can can hold their margins? Or that how, how are they sort of holding up so far? Uh, you you yeah. in the short term, but you're confident in the long term. Or? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the consumer goods sector has been has been the most sort of immediately impacted uh, on the margin front. Their own costs have gone up, and it's and it's really sort of all the input costs for a, for a consumer goods business. So transportation, packaging, raw materials have all seen reasonably significant um, uh, increases uh, in terms of the input costs. Uh, on the flip side, those companies have been raising prices uh, to the end consumer. Um, and really, it's that pricing power that we're looking for over the medium to long term. Short term, they are, they are managing to uh, maintain margins or at least reduce the impact of in, input cost inflation by, uh, by cost-cutting measures. They can only do so much of that, and they certainly shouldn't be cutting the critical uh, costs that they, they need to run their business, like advertising and promotion for a consumer goods company. That's very important. Um, but yeah, they, they do have uh, another mitigating factor also, which is high margins. So when it comes to passing on costs to consumers, actually to maintain profitability, they don't need to pass on all of those input costs, in, all of that input cost inflation uh, to, to maintain profitability. So there are some mitigating factors, but certainly short term, we are seeing uh, some impact to margins for those businesses. But it's not just consumer goods. Most sectors are seeing some impact, uh, even in sort of very knowledge-based um, sectors like information technology, uh, wage inflation is running at a relatively high, high level as well. Uh, but again, these are businesses that generate high margins, which mitigates the impact somewhat. Yeah. And I believe uh, after many months of virtual meetings, you've finally been able to get over to, to meet some companies on the ground in the US. Mm. Um, so can you t tell us about a couple of those meetings and what did you learn? 
Yeah, well, uh, it was uh, the team found very receptive hosts uh, after a couple of years of Zoom and Teams and uh, and virtual meeting. Um, people were very well, happy to welcome us back. We do like to go and see companies where where they are, where it's all possible. Um, uh, they they tend to be a bit more comfortable uh, in, a, in their home environment, but also we get a sense of what the the culture uh, and what it's like to work within that business is. These tend, these tend to be multinational businesses, so we can only learn so much. But we get a little taste and a little flavour of what that business is about by going and seeing them where they where they are. And um, so we, we saw lots of businesses across different industries. So a couple I can pick out um, are holding in the even a global equity fund actually is Mastercard. Uh, the team saw. Um, they went and learned more detail about their consumer business that we'll all be familiar with when we're doing our day-to-day spending on our, on our um, debit and credit cards. Um, but they also learned about um, a, a potential new avenue, uh, which is could be significant, which is business-to-business transfers, because currently uh, most business transfers happen um, by bank transfer. Uh, which can be uh, expensive. It can take take a long time, and so the card networks are seeing a, a, a potential uh, significant new uh, line of business there. Uh, in a completely different world, the, the, the team met with a company called Analog Devices. Um, uh, these this is a company that makes um, semiconductors, but it's in the, it's analog semiconductors rather than uh, sort of processing chips that um, the likes of Intel might make. So these are uh, components which might measure temperature, um, that sort of thing uh, in your smartphone, uh, deal with the Wi-Fi signal, uh, those sorts of things. So. Um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting business. Um, these are, tend to be quite low-cost items. Uh, they're very important to the operation of, say, your mobile phone. Um, the team heard about the challenges of innovating in that space because it, you're dealing, when these components deal with the real physical world, uh, which is un- uncontrollable. Um, so there are challenges in, in innovating with these, uh, with these devices. Um, but they also have a challenge because there's a shortage of engineers. So Analog Devices has a 10-year training program that they take uh, their, their employees on uh, and, 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 and train them uh, so that they can have the security of, of, of people with the know-how to, to deliver what they're doing. Um, this is a company that's not in our investable universe at the moment. Uh, they have just recently um, uh, announced quite a big capital expenditure program um, in order to um, uh, take in-house some of the manufacturing that was uh, um, previously sort of outsourced to the supply chain. Um, we want to understand a bit more about what the steady-state capital requirements of that business are before we would add it to our investable universe. So that was more on the, the research side. Mastercard is a current investment in the global equity, even a global equity fund, as I said. So that's more of a uh, has a has a current investment. Yeah, because you you typically prefer the the capsule light businesses, don't you? So I guess you want to understand what's going on there before you. Absolutely, and really, but one of the things going back to the inflation question uh, that we like about asset light businesses is that inflation protection. You know, if you've got a lot of capital that's required in a business. that capital, the cost of that capital in an inflationary environment will will grow. And in absolute terms, the more it is, the more the absolute increase uh, of, of capital expenditure would be. So, yeah, it's something we, we do look at quite closely in all of the companies that, that we uh, analyse. And what are you hearing on supply chains at the moment? Because we've heard sort of different things. I mean, in some places, it seems like things are getting much better. Yeah. Other places, it's still there's still difficulties. Yeah. Um, I don't know what analog devices were saying and, and that sort of thing. But. Well, yeah, I mean, in the world of semiconductors, that's been um, uh, there has been a, a lot of different things. Uh, well, trailed through the pandemic was the difficulty that auto manufacturers were having getting um, semiconductor components, and that did uh, limit their their manufacturing. Um, we're still seeing a lot of disruption. 
um, companies are reporting uh, continued disruptions as a result of the pandemic. Um, really, it's about kind of logistics and, and things like ships being in the right place, containers being in the right place uh, around the world. When ships couldn't dock um, because of fears of uh, that COVID would be imported to the country that they were going to, um, then, then then what was a, a well-oiled global supply chain suddenly um, ground to a halt, and, and we're still seeing the effects of that um, coming out of out of the back of the pandemic. We're also seeing, it's important to remember, you know, in the West and in the UK, it feels like back to normal um, uh, and uh, easy to forget this is only about six or seven months ago, we were, we were still in lockdown. Um, but this is still happening, particularly in China, where they're still pursuing a zero COVID policy. So um, it is a, it's clearly a, a global manufacturing hub very important for global supply chains uh, and still um, and, and so we're still going to see some of the effects of that policy being being enacted uh, in China. All of that disruption has has sort of collided with spikes in demand as industries have got back going um, after the pandemic as well. So it's quite it's, there, there is there is the supply challenge, but then there's also the demand picture, which has until recently been very strong, in fact, as we've come out of the pandemic. So, um, so there's an awful lot going on. And, and on top of that, we also have the spikes in energy prices that we've seen on some commodities as a result of um, Vladimir Putin's uh, invasion of, of Ukraine. So, so there, there is an awful lot going on. Um, what we're seeing in terms of companies is companies using cash flow um, to invest in inventories, uh, to secure supply, so they've got them. Um, so they can secure price. They can secure the, the supply of the components and the, the inputs they're using into their manufacturing processes. Um, that means that has had an inflationary effect. Um, and then, as I said earlier, we, we are seeing them then raise their prices to to the end consumer. Um, and it is really important um, that we see these companies that they are making those investments, so they continue to invest in the critical functions. Uh, their business, you know, research and development for, say, healthcare and technology companies. You know, we really want to see companies continue to invest. And companies that generate a lot of cash flow, like the ones that we look for, as even though investment are really well placed to, to, to do both of those things, so they can weather the economic shocks, uh, but also continue to invest in their businesses. I believe you've cut the number of holdings in the portfolio to close to the lowest it's ever been. I think uh, we've got it's 33 in June. I don't know where it is now. But I mean, is that a reflection of you know, the difficult times we're in and, you know, you, you're really sort of honing in on those businesses you like or, or, or is it something else? Um, well, it's really a reflection of the, of the overall market level, which dis- despite um, uh, the downturn earlier in this year, you know, we're still, um, we've, we've still overall experienced quite a strong bull market since the start of the, of the pandemic. So um, it's partly a, a reflection of the market level. Um, we have added a, a couple of new holdings um, uh, as the some share prices have fallen. Um, there has been quite a large dispersion of, of returns in the markets as well. Um, so where we have seen more value to, to generalise has been in sort of larger, more diversified, globally diversified businesses, which all other things being equal, we're, we're happy to have larger position sizes in uh, simply because they're more diversified. Um, are, you, are you saying you still think valuations are a bit high and maybe have a bit further to sort of fall or multiples have further to compress perhaps? I think overall uh, the valuation environment is looking um, a, a bit better than it was uh, at the end of last year. Um, um, but overall the market does look a bit expensive to us. 
Um, but we're very, very able to construct a, a sensible portfolio of sensible businesses trading at sensible prices in the market at the, at the current time. Um, what is interesting is that there have selectively been uh, valuation opportunities to, to be taken uh, in the market. I think what we, we were saying through the course of the pandemic and as the market level rose was we were, um, the changes we were making in the portfolio were more about managing valuation risk. I think that might be turning towards more valuation opportunity, um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, there was, there was quite a big rally in the market and over the last couple of months, uh, we may start, we may see um, a downturn, but we don't predict market, market movements, but uh, we certainly react to them when they happen. And I notice as well, you, you seem to have quite a high weight to Europe for a global fund. I think you've got, at least on your last fact sheet, I saw you had more of a weight to Europe than, than North America, which is quite unusual. Um, is that, again, a factor of just valuations being yeah. a lot cheaper in Europe? Yeah, so that's in terms of, of where the companies are listed, yes. And uh, I think that, that it's fair to say there have been more valuation opportunities on this side of the pond uh, than the other. I mean, we don't particularly target uh, a particular weighting in European listed companies versus UK listed. What's more important to us is where those companies do business. Of course. You know, yeah. A lot of your businesses are multinationals who do, do business Indeed. all over the world. It doesn't really matter where they're listed. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it, it does matter in the sense that we want to make sure that they're, they're listed in, in regimes where there is good governance, where we have good access to mm. um, uh, to the management teams if we want to ask them questions, uh, that they have the right kind of board structures and, and, and so on. Um, but in terms of where they do business, about uh, in fact, about a fifth of the underlying revenues of the portfolio come from Europe. It's about 45% comes from North America, which is still a, a slight under-index compared to global, global GDP, but is probably more representative of the, uh, of the, of the actual um, exposure of the portfolio. And I understand you've just had your net zero targets approved. Could you detail your approach uh, a bit more for us on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we signed up to the uh, Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. Um, we've had our targets approved approved by then, um, uh, and now we're 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 in, in the process of uh, putting putting them into practice. And um, with all long term issues, whether it's about corporate strategy, uh, whether it's about uh, governance of the company, or this very important one of uh, of decarbonisation, our approach is to engage with companies first. Um, we believe that um, our, our best chance of uh, influencing things for uh, the better is to have a positive uh, relationship with companies. Um, we don't invest in um, oil producers, um, sort of basic materials producers and that sort of thing. Um, first, because they don't fit our investment criteria. There are clearly um, uh, decarbonisation risks there as well. Um, uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, there are emissions from the portfolio, but those emissions come largely from the supply chains of these businesses uh, rather than being directly emitted by the businesses themselves. So but there is an engagement uh, job to be done. Um, if you look at um, the analysis of, of the even though portfolios as a whole, we've got about a quarter of the assets that come from materially um, uh, uh, emitting sectors uh, that are aligned with net zero by 2050, which is commonly taken to be um, you know, in line with a one and a half degree Celsius increase in global average temperatures. Um, about half of the companies have set some targets, um, 
for the long term, but haven't yet set sufficient short term targets for us to, to assess whether they're aligned or not. Uh, and then about a third of the companies um, uh, by by weight uh, have targets, but they're not aligned with one and a half degrees Celsius. So, in terms of the of the engagement strategy, those companies are are getting um, uh, the most immediate engagement to ask them to set targets that are in line with one and a half degrees um, and then uh, to go about um, setting short term targets and then measuring against those targets. So our aim is to have 100% of the um, invested portfolios under either either aligning with net zero by 2050 or under active engagement by the end of this year. We've, we've done that. Uh, and then we're looking for, um, uh, we have interim targets up to 2025, 2030, and 2040, uh, based on both uh, the alignment with net zero and then also um, actual progress towards decarbonisation in, in absolute terms as well. Um, as we move through time, we will uh, ramp up our engagement uh, and then escalate um, our involvement if companies are not making sufficient progress uh, up towards particularly the 2030 targets that we have. Uh, and that will include uh, potentially using our vote at, at, at general meetings, collectively engaging alongside other company, uh, other, other investors, sorry. Um, and uh, ultimately, if we don't see any progress, then then disinvestment is an option, but very much a last resort. As I say, I think engagement is, is certainly our first port of call. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I guess in, in many ways, you can do a lot more if you're engaging with a company than if you just sell the shares. Um, I certainly think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and are there any new challenges arising uh, given the short-term effect um, of the war in Ukraine and obviously the, the crazy spike in energy prices we've been seeing in Europe? Yeah, I mean, I think thinking about decarbonisation, the, the long-term challenge remains, of course, um, uh, despite what's going on with, with energy markets. Um, but nearer term, there are clear challenges of securing supply of hydrocarbons, <laughs> not forgetting that the, the world today does need to continue to, to, to operate. Uh, it does need um, uh, to use uh, hydrocarbons to do that. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a big challenge of making sure those are available so that both business, industry, uh, and also consumers can, can go about doing, doing what, what they do. Um, so that, that, really, that really is a near-term challenge for policy, near-term challenge for companies, some companies, uh, not so much the, the, the businesses that even though they invest in actually, but um, some companies. Overall, um, you know, what should happen, I think, is that the, the case for energy independence uh, means that that um, renewable uh, renewable energies should become more of a focus um, from a policy point of view. Um, and but the, 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 there is a lot of infrastructure that still needs to be built. So the near term challenge really is one of ensuring operation. Longer term challenge remains the same. There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. Companies need to be demanding cleaner sources of energy. Uh, they need to be dealing with all the other things in their supply chains, like the circular economy, recycling, and all these other things as well. And those those are unchanged as a result of the, of the war in the Ukraine. And how have you found it with um, oil companies coming massively back into favour and, and being one of the, the places of outperformance this year? They're obviously not much of a feature in, the, in your fund. Yeah. Uh, how have you found this period? You seem to have held up reasonably well this, despite sort of the big rally we've seen in in oil and gas and, and commodities? Yeah, reasonably well. Uh, the, the fund has underperformed the global equity income sector, um, it should be said. And, and the, the main uh, the main cause of that underperformance is because the oil and gas sector 
uh, or energy more generally is a reasonably big component of um, of, uh, of, the, of of global income funds generally. It's not for us. So that 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 has held back relative performance. But as you say, in absolute terms, the fund has held up held up pretty well. Um, we accept that even though that we run a, a strategy which is different to the market and different to other funds, and, uh, when something like this happens, which is very specific to a certain sector that that, that we don't have exposure to, then that's going to that's going to affect relative performance. But uh, you know, our focus is on uh, the companies that we do look for. How are they getting on? How they, how are they operating? Are they managing to cope with this um, uh, volatile economic environment that we're certainly in uh, and uh, engaging with them on, on long-term matters? And, and we're very satisfied across all of those dimensions that, that the even load funds and the companies within them are, are still ticking the boxes. Um, but yeah, it has been, but lack of exposure to oil and gas particularly has been a, has been a drag on relative performance this year. Well, uh, thank you very much, Ben. That's That's been really interesting. Uh, and some really good insights there. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. And if you'd like to learn more about the TB Even Though Global Income Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com and please also remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm-hmm.